Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. My colleague and friend Kendall Gibbons tells this story from back in the days when clergy rode, rode around their parish on horses, visiting the faithful, or in this case, the backsliders. One gentleman had not been in attendance at Sunday meeting for more than a month. However, since he had been spotted going about his business as usual here and there, you know how it is in small towns, his pastor concluded that it was time to go calling and see what he had to say for himself. The gentleman opened the door and waved the parson into the kitchen, indicating a chair next to the stove, and sat down to himself, all without uttering a word. Apparently, he had nothing to say. Realizing it was his conversation to begin, the minister sat quietly, pondering his opening. Without a word, he picked up the gentleman's fire tongs, reached into the stove where the fire burned brightly, plucked out one glowing coal, and set it on the coal shovel. The ember slowly but surely died out to a cold lump, which the two men contemplated. The minister then quietly placed the lump back into the stove and soon nestled amidst the burning coals. It glowed warm and fiery orange again. He stood then, nodded to his host, and let himself out the door. That Sunday, the gentleman was back in church. He never missed a Sunday after that, or so it is said. You know, I'm obsessed with the epidemic of loneliness in the United States. On this Covenant Renewal Sunday, I want to visit that topic again. Last year, a large-scale survey by the healthcare provider Cigna concluded that most Americans suffer from strong feelings of loneliness and a lack of significance in their relationships. Nearly half say they sometimes or always feel alone or left out. 13% say that zero people know them well. I doubt that those devastating statistics are unrelated to these devastating statistics. It is predicted that this year, 45,000 Americans will take their lives, and more than 70,000 will die from drug overdoses. There are many and varied analyses of why this is so, and the why is interesting. 
but it's not so interesting as the solutions for interrupting this soul-searing trajectory. Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska recently published a book called Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. He argues that it's not politics that's dividing Americans and bringing us down, it's loneliness. Here's the part of his book I recommend. He talks about a pervasive feeling of not really having a place we think of as home, a community in which people know and look out for each other and invest deeply in their relationships. Sports Illustrated calls it that hometown gym on a Friday night feeling. By way of a cure, Senator Sass is not necessarily suggesting the return to a neighborhood in the traditional sense. The trick, he says, is learning how to invest intentionally in the communities we call home. In my life, this starts with talking with Mr. Kim, the retired scientist who does my dry cleaning, and with Emily, who's applying to law school, but meanwhile, helps me at the circulation desk in the library, and with Lorena, who is finally able to bring her teenage daughter here from El Salvador and makes me a salad when I'm too busy to bring lunch from home. From there, it goes to acting for the common good, the commonwealth. Jen Hoffman, founder of Americans for Conscience, notes that individually our impact is limited, but when we know each other's names and reach out for help, Recently, a wave of the ugliness of intolerance rose up with cobra-headed venom when Representative Ilhan Omar, an elected black Muslim immigrant woman, was threatened on Twitter, and the New York Post ran an inflammatory front-page story targeting her. In response, bodega or owners in New York City banded together and refused to sell the Post. Indefinitely. Yeah, you can still pick up a coffee or a sandwich or any other paper. But the bodega owners are saying no to hatred. America will start to heal when we become the kind of neighbors and friends we wish we had. And there's something more. Psychiatrists Richard Schwartz and Jacqueline Olds, co-authors of The Lonely American, explain, in order to form a community where you live, you need to create joint projects with others whom you see weekly or bi-monthly to achieve that mission. This can be as simple or as complicated as, but if you stick with it long enough, it will result in long-term friendships. What does this bring to mind? I'm thinking of you right here and of us creating this beloved spiritual community. It means coming early and staying late, grieving together, rejoicing together, raising our hands to volunteer and making this place the sanctuary it is in all the ways that it is, giving generously of our time talent, and treasure. It means hanging in through thick and thin. 
This is the opening of Marge Piercy's poem, To Be of Use. The people I love best. Jump into work head first without dallying in the shallows and swim off with sure strokes almost out of sight. They seem to become natives of that element, the black, sleek heads of seals bouncing like half-submerged balls. I love people who harness themselves, an ox to a heavy cart, who pull like water buffalo with massive patience, who strain in the mud and the muck to move things forward, who do what has to be done again and again. I want to be with people who submerge in the task, who go into the fields to harvest and work in a row and pass the bags along, who stand in the line and haul in their places, who are not parlor generals and field deserters, but move in a common rhythm when the food must come in or the fire be put out. All of this, who we are, what we love, what we're doing here together, all of it, demands an investment from us, and some of it costs money. I find myself really moved by the way Doug Muter, who's a member of our congregation in Bedford, talks about pledging. These are his words. During my 23 years here at First Parish and my 30 years as a Unitarian Universalist, I thought about my pledge in three different ways. And what that's really about is that I've experienced three very different relationships to this congregation. The first time he pledged, he says, I had what you might call a transactional relationship. I wanted to pay for what I used. So I tried to figure out what that would amount to. I knew it cost something to put on a service, so I invented a ticket price to cover that. I added something for all the other events I go to, classes and discussion groups. I like to talk to a minister once or twice a year about what I'm trying to do with my life and how it's going, so I added a little more for that. I came up with a number that represented the transactional value I was getting from the church. If I contributed that much, I figured, then I was paying my way. Before long, though, that changed to what I call a charitable relationship. I started to believe in Unitarian Universalism as a movement. And I liked the idea of an institution spreading our progressive values in the wider community. So I wanted to support more than just what I used myself. A charitable relationship means I want this church to have good services even on Sundays when I'm not here. And I want them to have available to people who can't afford that imaginary ticket. I want to support a broader array of social justice activities than I can work on myself. I want our ministers out there being a voice in the community. And I want them to be available to whoever needs them, not just to me. So I started to take ownership here. This is my church. I want it to be a good church. And that sense of ownership, that deep belonging, led to a different pledge. And today, says Doug Muter, I'd say I have a legacy relationship with this congregation. There aren't many things you can do in life that leave a mark on the world, something that continues through the years, maybe even beyond your lifetime. 
most of what we do evaporates almost as soon as we finish doing it. But the people who started this congregation left a mark that we can still see. He concludes, we inherited this place, this institution, this ethic that love is the spirit of this congregation. We've inherited all of this from the generosity of the past, and we're still benefiting from what they did. I'm paying for it now, and I'm paying it forward. What does it mean for us to take our place among the ancestors? What does it mean to you? This is a question each of us is called to answer, not with words, but with action. This congregation was founded in 1729, 290 years ago. Today it's in our hands. And how it goes forward is up to every one of us. So I can't stop thinking about this story that I just heard. A gay man from Chicago who goes by the Twitter handle at TweetCheezone writes, oh God, I can't even tell this story and not cry. I used to manage a gay bookstore when bookstores were still a thing. And one night a caller says, he thinks he might be gay and he's considering self-harm. I'm thinking, we're not a crisis center. But as long as we're talking, he's safe, right? So I talk to this guy, and I answer questions, and I try to be encouraging, and I'm maybe sounding a little frantic, and I'm definitely ignoring the four or five customers in the store. And then this angel of a woman puts her hand on my shoulder and asks for the phone. My turn, she says. And she, this 50-something-year-old lesbian, takes the phone from me and talks to this stranger. And then a line forms behind her. Every customer in that store knows that call, knows that feeling. And every person takes a turn talking to that man. I can't stop thinking about this story in part because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that every single one of you here, queer or otherwise, would have taken that phone call, figuratively, if not literally. Over and over, you have amazed me with your kindness and your caring, your devotion, and your generosity. I am positive that you have no idea how many lives you've saved by being here for those who have come through the great doors after you. That's what it means to take our place among the ancestors. We line up. That's what calls us to give and give generously. So this beloved spiritual community is here for us and for those who need us but haven't found us yet 
and for those who will come after us. Beloved spiritual companions, nestled among the burning coals, a single piece of coal glows warm and fiery orange. Through our gifts of time, talent, and treasure, may we be of use. Let us cultivate a legacy relationship with this place. Pay for it now and pay it forward. This beloved spiritual community is in our hands. How it survives and thrives is up to us. Let us line up to answer the call. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.